How to Swim by Alfred Rochefort. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Berard. How to Swim by Alfred Rochefort. Every animal except man can swim naturally on finding itself in the water for the first time for it takes a position nearly the same as if it were on land and walking the physical structure of man the lord of creation is not so favorably adapted for his making his way through the water his head being much heavier in proportion to its size than his trunk while he has to make an entirely new departure in abandoning his customary erect position and has to adopt movements of the limbs to which he has not previously been accustomed still the specific gravity of the human body particularly when the cavity of the chest is filled with air is lighter than that of water in proportion to the obesity of the individual stout people being able to float more easily than those of spare build there are thousands and thousands of boys in this vast country who have never seen big rivers like the ohio and mississippi or beheld the broad ocean with its white sandy beach and small quiet bays or the great blue lakes and whose only chance to swim is in the deep holes of some small stream a mill pond or small lake beginners are just as liable to meet with serious accidents in such places as in the large rivers or the salt sea for it must be remembered it is not the width of the water but its depth that troubles a beginner how to learn beyond the practice that makes for perfection the only other thing necessary for swimming is confidence every man woman and child even if never in the water before could keep afloat if he she or it had the required confidence but as they have not this confidence the question is how can it be acquired there is an old saying familiarity breeds contempt while like many other homemade proverbs this is only partly true there can be no doubt but that familiarity makes for confidence the new recruit may be as strong and brave as the veteran soldier but the lack of experience makes him nervous and unreliable under a fire which the older soldier faces without a visible tremor of eye or hand it is difficult to get confidence if you begin by getting awfully scared every boy and every girl too should know how to swim and both are more than eager to learn now the boy who can swim and who is properly proud of the fact will if he stops to think recall a time not very far distant when he lacked confidence and could not keep himself afloat for a second and he may recall how frightened he was when some foolishly thoughtless friend or heartless bully tried to duck him or to push him beyond his depth be kind the first hard fight i ever had was 
with a big boy. It is the conflict I look back at with the most pleasure, who was holding a smaller boy under the water. We fought quite naked, and, well, I licked the bullet, and never after that did he try to frighten small boys in that swimming hole. Boys will be boys, but even then each should have in him much of the man he hopes one day to be. Therefore, I say, be a protector, a guide, philosopher, and friend of the younger boys, and if you know more than they do of anything, and they want to learn, teach them in a cheery, manly fashion, if you have the time. Avoid conflicts, but if you must have one, see to it that the bully will not be eager for another such meeting. Good advice. Before saying more, let me give you another bit of good advice. Never enter into water the depth of which you are not familiar with, unless you can swim. And in any event, do not venture far into strange water unless you are accompanied by a companion as skillful as yourself. Big boys, as a rule, are glad to help the smaller ones, and in this way they teach by assuring confidence and showing by example how the thing can be done. Planks, floats, bladders, and other artificial contrivances are advised by some, but after swimming for years in nearly all the waters of the world, I cannot endorse such doubtful assistance. As one cannot actually swim when supported in this way, it is far better to start in without them. There must be a beginning, and it should be made in the easiest and most sensible way. A good way. With your back to the shore and the water almost up to the armpits, bend your knees till the water nearly reaches the chin. Then gradually throw your head back as far as it will go until the base of the skull is immersed and the water covers your ears. Now stretch your arms backwards behind your head at their fullest extent, the palms uppermost and slightly hollowed. Take a full breath and, swelling out the chest, give a little push off the bottom with both feet. Keep your mouth shut, as, perhaps for an instant only, the water will ripple on your face as the head takes its position, and then you will find your legs, which must be stiffened and separated. In this position, you will float for a second, moving the while towards the shore. Then the water will dash over your nose and mouth, but, before it chokes, regain your feet, and after a good long breath, Try it again. Franklin's Way Another capital dodge is that recommended by Dr. Franklin, in which the buoyant power of water is still more strikingly exemplified. Procure an egg or lump of chalk of an easily handled shape, and when the water is up to your chest, face the shore and let the egg drop in front of you. Now take breath. Shut your mouth, but not your eyes, which you can open and shut as easily in the water as out. Duck under and try to pick up the egg. You will find that while your legs rise from the bottom, you will have to struggle with your arms to get down far enough to reach the egg. Chapter 2 
owing to the great resistance offered by the water, and two or three attempts may be necessary to accomplish your object. You can come up at any moment by depressing the feet, and, as you face the shore, your struggles are working you into shallower water, so that the experiment is a safe one enough. You have now gained confidence, which is half the battle, and the next thing to be done is to try to move on the surface of that element which you have proved capable of sustaining you when motionless. It is certainly easier to float when the body is moving through the water than when it is stationary, on much the same principle which sustains the oyster shell that skips along the surface of the sea, until the impetus given it by the thrower being exhausted, it sinks to the bottom. In like manner, the pace acquired in swimming helps to sustain the body. If you can keep afloat while you count to five, or long enough to inhale the breath once, the battle is won. And while you may not be qualified to enter for the long-distance championship, you can modestly call yourself a swimmer. Books give us valuable information about how to do many things, but when it comes to swimming, all the book can do is to advise, and if the author gives us his own experience, as I am trying to do here, it must be of great help. Confidence I have said that in learning to swim, confidence is the great essential, but while still sticking unchangeably to that, I will add that perseverance is a good second. Never get discouraged. Stick to it. Repeat over and over again either of the two exercises before given. Each time you will find them easier. Then suddenly, and before you know it, you will be keeping yourself afloat. What if it is only for a few seconds and you have not moved a foot? Don't give up. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. That's a motto you should heed, particularly in learning to swim. There are a great many strokes in swimming, but pay no attention to these at the start. Strokes When I was a boy, and I presume it is so still, there was a stroke known as dog fashion. As a matter of fact, it might as well be called the fashion of any other animal, for all quadrupeds swim exactly as they walk, that is, by moving the feet alternately forward, and this is the very way one is inclined to try it at the start. If you can go dog fashion with some confidence, it will be well to learn the breaststroke, which, though not the fastest, is perhaps the most general, as it is the most graceful among non-professionals. But first a word as to the management of the legs. The legs. While the arm movements can be greatly varied, there can be, in the nature of things, no such variation in the action of the legs. It is said, and truthfully, that the motion of the legs of a human swimmer are much like the motion of a frog's hind legs when swimming. That is, the boy draws his legs up simultaneously and kicks them out in the same way, but in so doing he is not imitating a frog, 
for if he works the limbs together there is no other possible way in which he can do it under water the frog's breaststroke is another story a man swims very much as does a frog though he cannot do so well under water as the amphibian the legs are kicked in the same way and there is the same motion of the arms of one as of the forelegs of the other some swimming teachers believe that the main reliance is the legs but this has not been my experience and i have seen many swimmers in many waters the legs steady the body but it is the arms that make for speed as well as for steering though on the back it is the legs that do the business how to do it bring your hands together under your chin with the palms down fingers straight close together and pointing in the direction you are about to move next shove the two hands straight out in front of you keeping your thumbs touching as your hands are pushed forward kick backward with your legs as previously described when the knees are straight the legs will be spread wide apart bring them together and if you time this properly your position will now be that of an arrow the point being your extended hands while the arms and legs alike do their share in the propulsion of the body the legs perform by far the most important work and the importance of a good kick cannot be too strongly urged though the action of the soles of the feet upon the water helps the drive the momentum is also given by the wedge of water embraced and driven backwards by the action of the backs of the thighs and calves as they almost come together at the completion of the leg stroke hence the wider the stretch the more powerful the drive and the beginner should try to rival as closely as possible that acrobatic performance known as the splits when trying to master the kick the action of arms and legs is alternate that is to say when the legs are making their sweep the arms are thrown forward to their fullest extent thus helping to sustain the upper part of the trunk and serving as a prow or cutwater then during the first part of the arm stroke the legs almost touching after finishing their work remain stiff and extended so as to offer as little resistance as possible these positions are but momentary but their right observance is necessary to ensure pace with the least expenditure of force the arms the breaststroke will require some practice and this can be helped by out-of-the-water exercise close your fingers tightly but not so as to be very conscious of the effort in this position bring them up till the chin rests on the two thumbs which are side by side and parallel next separate the hands fingers still close together shoot them edgewise as far in front as you can reach then with the flat palms and closed fingers to the resisting water draw them smartly back like oars for the second stroke draw the arms edgewise to the first position 
and repeat as often as may be necessary. This exercise will strengthen the arm and shoulder muscles and greatly facilitate the movements when you come to use them in swimming. Be careful always to bear in mind the following rules. Keep the head thrown back so as to clear the mouth and chin. Try to swim as low as possible. The lower and the nearer level the plane in which the body lies in the water, the less the waste of power and the greater the speed, so that all rising and falling must be avoided and nothing seen below the chin. Always keep the trunk steady and the spine hollowed, avoiding all squirming, wriggling, and bending, while the motions must be made steadily, avoiding all hurry. Exhale your breath when the hands are extended in front, supporting the head, and inhale as they are brought back, an action which expands the chest and gives you almost instinctively the signal for taking breath, which should be inhaled through the nose as much as possible. Methods of Swimming Some girls, after they have learned the alphabet of music and are able to play elementary scales on the piano, are eager to surprise themselves and annoy their listeners by starting in to play tunes, if indeed they are not ambitious to tackle grand opera. But the wise learner is satisfied to take one step at a time, and before going on he is sure that he can do the previous steps reasonably well. I am old enough to have boys of my own. Still, I hope I shall never be so old as to forget my own boyhood, nor to feel that much of the boy nature does not still keep with me, and that is why I advise my boy friends who read this to learn surely whatever they undertake. In this case, it is swimming. After you can manage the breaststroke well, try the side stroke, which you will find more speedy, but it has its disadvantages in a long swim by reason of the tension thrown on the muscles of the neck and keeping the head thrown so far back from its normal position while the chest and shoulders square to the front offer considerable resistance to the water history has not handed down the name of the founder of the side stroke but he deserves canonization equally with a man who ate the first oyster nature evidently intended man to swim on his side, as, in this position, the body moves more easily in the water, to which it offers less resistance, while the action of the arms is not so fatiguing, and the head is supported by the water at its proper angle to the trunk. There is no arbitrary rule as to which side you shall swim on, left or right, being a pure matter of choice, but while I think the left is preferable, as it gives greater play to the right arm, the right is the usual side, put on by the majority. The great thing is to be able to swim equally well on either, as this enables you to keep your face to the breakers in a rough sea, on whichever tack you lay your course. When you have mastered this stroke, you will seem to move forward continuously, and not in a succession of jerks, as with the breaststroke. The natives of the South Sea Islands, who are, to my thinking, the best swimmers in the world, use 
this stroke for a long, steady swim, and I have been surprised at the speed they make and the length of time with which they can keep it up without a sign of fatigue. Racing The racing stroke is effective for speed, but it soon wears out all but the strong, expert swimmer. In acquiring it, you must remember that pace is the great desideratum, and, consequently, rapidity of action is requisite. To gain this, you must combine two movements in one. By striking with the propeller on whichever side you swim, at the same time as the feet, the sustainer acting in the same manner as before. As the legs are brought up for the kick, the propeller is lifted clear of the water, the arm being slightly bent in a graceful curve, and thrown forward in an arc to its fullest extent, the hand being held in the scoop-like position it maintains in the water. Now kick, and bring the propeller simultaneously downwards and backwards, with a bold and vigorous sweep, until it reaches the thigh when the elbow is bent, drawing the hand upwards to be thrown forward again. As this stroke is being made, shoot out the sustainer quickly forwards, and while this arm is pulled in towards the body, the legs and propeller are quickly brought into action for the next stroke. The learner will have to count one, two, only in affecting this movement, as, when the propeller and legs are striking, the sustainer shot out and vice versa. Other ways. Swimming on the back is very easy, once the confidence is assured. In this method, the hands are folded on the breast, or still better, kept under the water and close to the sides. This done, the feet are drawn up together, as in breast swimming, and then kicked out together. As the arms are the chief driving power, swimming on the back is at best but a slow, jerky method of proceeding, but if one has not learned to float, it is a good way to rest for a bit in a long swim. Some swimmers, particularly those that are narrow-chested or lank and lean, can never learn to float. Though once you know how, it is easier and far more comfortable than falling off a log. At first, when learning to float on your back, and by the way, that is the only way to do it properly, you will find yourself sinking slowly, feet foremost, until you seem to be standing up, and must use some exercise to keep afloat. But you can learn. Before lying flat on your back, inflate your lungs fully. As you do so, you will be surprised to see how you seem to lift out of the water. Now, before your lungs are exhausted, for you will sink as they empty, breathe deeply again and exhaust slowly as before, keeping your arms by your sides and your legs close together and extended. Don't expect to float like a lifeboat at the first try, for you are not built along lifeboat lines. But if you stick at it, and make the experiment at least once every time you go in swimming, you will float well before the summer is over. Going in If you know the water, the best way to enter it is by a quick plunge, or a straight dive. 
To walk into the water and duck is rather an ignominious proceeding, only to be excused in the novice or the lady bather we see at our watering places bobbing up and down at the end of a rope. The swimmer should not rest content until he is able to plunge in like a workman. But first, a word of caution. Never attempt to dive unless you know that the water is deep enough for the purpose. Many serious accidents have occurred from this mistake, notably when bathing at sea. An incautious plunge from the ship's side into the salt bath, extemporized overboard to ward off any danger from sharks, has resulted fatally to the rash swimmer, and at all times danger attends rash plunging. It is, nevertheless, astonishing into what shallow water an expert can fearlessly dive from a height, his arms and head emerging almost before the feet have disappeared beneath the surface. The diver needs to be very quick of hand and eye, and many accidents attest the fact of the game not being worth the candle. I have seen bathers extend the arms over their heads and fall forward, which generally entails a smart tingling of the chest and stomach, as the body is almost certain to drop flat on the surface. A very neat plunge, which requires practice and a little pluck, is made by standing erect on the brink edge or board, and, instead of springing from the board, allowing the body, kept rigid, to fall forward until it attains the proper distance. Then, suddenly throw up the feet and plunge in like an arrow and without a splash. Underwater It requires some practice to swim underwater, but you can soon do it. It is well to learn how to keep the eyes open underwater. This is no more difficult nor painful than it is to keep them open in the air. The skill may be of great use in locating a body that has sunk for the last time. Many such cases have been brought up and restored to consciousness under proper treatment. Water games are not as many as land games, but some of them afford good sport. One of these is water bladder, which requires good swimmers. At least, they must not be afraid of the water. To play this game, place two places four goals, at proper distances, where the water is overhead, and marked each with crossed rods, the tops about a foot out of water. Divide the party into two sides, and take your positions as in an old-fashioned game of football. At the word, ready, the umpire, who is on the shore or at some convenient point, throws an inflated bladder between the opposite sides. The object of the players is to send the bladder over the enemy's goal, and the rules are very simple. It is foul to interfere with an opponent by putting your hands on him. It is foul to use more than one hand in handling the bladder, but you may swim in front of a man, dive under him, in fact, interfere in every way you can. Each goal counts one point, and five points make a game. Tub races. One might suppose that this would come under the head of boating, but
but one would be mistaken, for it probably belongs to swimming, as anyone who has witnessed or taken part in such a race will tell you. Each contestant supplies himself with an ordinary wash tub. At the word go, he places it in the water, climbs in as best he can, and paddles with his hands for the taw line. This is great fun, and if one out of ten gets through, he may count himself fortunate. He may not succeed a second time, and will not if the others can help it. When I was a boy, we had no end of sport in running and diving from a springboard. This, as you know, is a long, strong board, the longer the better, one end of which is firmly fixed in the bank and weighted with logs or stones. But no matter how weighted, you must see to it that it does not get out of balance. The free end projects over the water at any desired angle, and care must be taken at the start to see that there are no stones or snags from which harm may come below the surface. It would be difficult to find anything more graceful than a lot of slender boys speeding up the springboard and shooting out feet first or head first into the river, pond, or swimming pool. When a boy can turn a somersault from the end of the board and come down feet foremost in a clean-cut way, he may be said to be an expert. Contrary to the belief of those who have not tried it, it is much easier to turn a back than a forward somersault, though neither can be achieved without some practice. In the back somersault, great care should be taken that the diver leaps far, so as to be free and clear of the board when he turns, otherwise his head may strike with bad results. As I have said before, Diving may be useful in saving life, or in finding objects that have been lost in the water. In such cases, it will be necessary to keep the eyes open. Otherwise, you will be much like one groping in the dark. The tendency in diving is to keep the eyes closed. There is a feeling that, if they are opened, the water will hurt them, or that its touch will be painful. But this is a great mistake. If the water is clear... In clear water is the best to swim in. One can see underwater nearly as well as on top, and the eyes are in no way affected. Pearl divers in the Persian Gulf sometimes stay underwater for minutes at a time, and if they could not keep their eyes open while searching for their pearl shells, their descent would not profit much. The eyes of these people are never injured. In the Bay of Apia, in the Samoan Islands, I have seen native boys diving from a canoe under the bottom of a great ocean steamer. On one occasion, a boy brought up from a depth of fifty feet a silver coin that had been tossed overboard to test his skill. Closing Advice Never go into the water when at all warm. The best way to enter is to plunge or dive in. Never go in more than twice a day, even if a fresh lot of boys come down to dare you. Learn to laugh at dares. Never stay in the water more than half an hour at a time, unless there is an absolute need for your so doing. You cannot learn too early that good health is easily lost and hard to regain. End of how to swim 
by alfred rochefort